Okay, if you would keep your finger there in verses 9, 10, and 11 is what I want to look at. I want you to turn over, if you would, to chapter 3. I want to read three verses to you as well, uh, and we're going to come back to these verses. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7, and we'll read on through verse 11. Then we're going to go back to chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. So if you would, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, would you please stand for just a moment? And we're going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. We'll read on through verse 11. Then we're going to go to chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Philippians, the Bible said, But what things were gained to me... Those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might have attained uh, unto the resurrection of the dead. Turn back to chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. When I think about the armed forces, I, when I was younger, I was planning and trying to go into the military. My dad didn't want me to. I thought the Marines had the coolest uniforms, and I used to like those things so much. I liked the sword on their side and all that stuff, and I thought, man... Wouldn't it be great to go in the Marines? And so I went and I took the ASVAB, and, and they told me I would never work in an office. They said, you have no skills, no organizational skills, any sense of direction when it comes to anything like that. You cannot work in an office. You cannot do paperwork. You, you are a louse when it comes to that. But I had mechanical skills, and so I thought, well, that's wonderful. And so I took the ASVAB, and I let all the branches of the service look at that, and I thought, man, I want to go to the Air Force. And uh, and, and so my daddy came to me and he said, no, son. He said, you have an ability uh, to do something different. He said, you're not going to the military. He let all my brothers go to the military except for me. And I have no idea why. And, uh, but I wanted to go in the Air Force. I actually wanted to be a machinist. I wanted to work on airplanes. I thought that would be the coolest job in the world. And that's what I wanted to do. And I think most who have joined the armed forces, the various military units of our country, the reason that they really do it is either they had a love for country or they needed a job. And so one of two reasons took them in there. And sometimes they wanted to stay out of jail. So those are three reasons, right? So, <laughs> so sometimes they did one of those three. But many in times of war, if you look back, we see there was something called a draft. And they would be drafted and taken in to the military. Then you were lacking choices. You were placed in a particular area of service. And, and so you kind of lose that choice. And they were drafted into the armed forces. And some stayed and some made a career of it. And I have family who did just that. They were drafted and ended up getting in and staying in and ended up making a career of it. And, and you look at that. But some who were drafted and some who joined did something else. Whether they were drafted or they joined, some of them laid down their life and died. And when I look at that and I think, I don't know 
when I thought about going to the Air Force that I would think about doing what I was doing and that I would die for my country. But there were many who went in and they were willing to die for their country, especially as you go back into the earlier wars, we see a lot of folks who gave their life and would lay down their life and die for that. There are some today when you look at this, those that lost their life, they lost their life so that we might have the right of freedom just to do the very things. And, and folks, listen, we, we don't even think like this anymore. We don't think about why it's important to say the Pledge of Allegiance or why it's important that we have the uh, First Amendment rights or why we have a, a, a right to bear arms or why we have those things today. And listen, they're trying to more and more teach the earlier or the younger generations some of those things are unimportant and that the Constitution of the United States is unimportant. But there are people, men and women, who have lost their lives to protect that Constitution and protect that flag we see standing right there. And they gave themselves for it. And to us who have these liberties and freedoms today, we don't really take into account someone laying down their life for those things. And by the way, there are some who shred our flag and burn our flag. And the reason they can is because we have freedom in the United States. Amen? But somebody laid down their life so some fool could actually burn our flag or, or, or trample on it or do the things that they choose to do and, and do those things. But they have freedoms in our nation. And, and some want to shred the constitution of this great nation. And there are some that say that it's worthless. It's just a document. It needs to be alive. We need to change it to adapt to our culture and to our people. And I keep looking back on the, uh, the framers of the Constitution, and you look back on that, and you think to yourself, what an amazing document. And people have given their lives for that document so that we might have freedom Amen. in our nation. And some break the laws, and some fight with government, and some yell and scream, and, and then there's sin that abounds in our nation as a result of people wanting their own way. <laughs> And I look to the scriptures and I say, you know, there's one who laid down his life that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <laughs> and I look at my Savior and I see the things that he did. And, and, and as Christians, we're to have a different motto than the world has. And the world says sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the world says you only live once. And the world says, you know, uh, you do you, and, and, and you be you, and you do all these things. I mean, it's so self-centered and self-focused. And I began to think about the mottos of some of the military men and women and, and what they do when they go in to defend our nation and the mottos that they have when they go into those militaries and how they work with these people. And you look at the U.S. Air Force, and it says, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. That's their motto, <laughs> We got people who are going into the military, and that's the motto when they go in. That's the mindset. When you look at the U.S. Army, this will defend. <laughs> when you go and you look at the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, Semperparatus, it says always ready. You look at uh, uh, the Marines and Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Uh, you look at the U.S. Navy for honor and courage and commitment. And I got to thinking, all these Branches of the service have these mottos. And what about us as believers? What about us as Christians? Do we have a battle cry? Do we have something that we would really stand for as believers when we go into the Scriptures? And I say, Paul gave us one. He demonstrated to us that we ought to have a battle cry. Amen. And when I look into the Scriptures and I see this, cross, Christ fought and won the battle and gained victory over sin that 
we have the freedom to choose him and live in victory now and for all eternity. What an amazing thing. But there's a motto, there's a battle cry. And I, I began to look how Christ fought and the battle was fought on the cross at Calvary. And the victory was won by his broken body and by his shed blood on the cross. And I looked to Paul. Paul was a good soldier. Would you agree? Amen. Paul was a good soldier for Christ. You look in the scriptures and you see somebody and you say, man, what, what an example for us to follow. Sure, he was off on the wrong track. He was off on the wrong trail. When he was on the road to Damascus, God put him on the right path. And when he got on the right path, things began to change in his life. Would you agree? I think when Paul writes stuff and we find it in the Bible, like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul understood that because he lived it. He knew that he was a new creature in Christ. He knew things had changed for him. And listen, as a saved individual and the freedoms and the liberties that we have in this country, we ought to see the power that is in the Word of God. When I go and I say, I read Philippians 3, 7 through 11, I say there's a motto in there that we ought to live by. You know, when he says that, he says that I may know him. <laughs> that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death, you know, that ought to be the battle cry of the Christian, that I may know him. We ought to come to the place, just as we have in our military, listen, whenever we got saved, we walked into God's army. <laughs> and we have joined the service with him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. If then we are simplify all that through our, then our relationship with Christ, this being our motto, we then find Paul addressing in these few verses the importance of living out a life as a soldier for Christ, a good soldier for Christ. So my thought, <laughs> I read these fruits of righteousness, and I'm asking myself as a good soldier, Am I abiding and abounding in love? Am I examining things in my life and, and the life around me of things that are most valuable? <laughs> am, I, am I really at the place in my Christian life where I have influence for what is right in my life and I influence others for what is right in their life? <laughs> and I look and I say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable to his death. Folks, if we had a battle cry, there it is. And I look to the scriptures and we are to always be more conformed to the image of our Savior. You know, I think about this a lot when I would watch my brothers go into boot camp. One went to the Navy, one went to, two went to the Army, uh, one went to the <coughs> Marines. When they went in, <coughs> what they looked like when they went in, and when they came out, what they looked like when they came out, a transformation took place. They turned them into a soldier. There was something different. Now look, we can just put a uniform on, <laughs> but it doesn't make us a soldier, does it? We can just put a uniform on, and it doesn't make us a soldier. You see, what they went through, the camp they went through, 
It's what made them what they were when they came out. When they went through that boot camp and they came out on the other end of that, they were now a soldier. They were very different than when they went in. And I'm telling you, whenever you enter into your Christianity, when we get to the other side of this, I'm saying there ought to be something a little bit different about us. Amen? We ought to have gone through some things that has allowed God to change us and become what we need to be for His glory when we come out on the other side. Well, when I read the book of Philippians, I'm seeing Paul here, and he brings up this subject of the fruits of righteousness. One of the things he said, he says in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And I look at this, and I think to myself, love is not normally something I tie to knowledge and judgment. How about you? I don't tie love and knowledge and judgment together. But I want you to get a hold of this because he says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in judgment. It's an amazing thought. And as I look to this, I see this in love defined here is that active love of God for his son and his people and an active love his people are to have for God and each other. And this even goes one step further, and our enemies. That's the kind of love he's talking about there. Now listen, he said that your love may abound how? More and more. <laughs> and so when you go in and you look at this, you begin to understand this idea of abound. It has this idea to overflow. Now, when he talks about it overflowing, he talks about it in two veins. He talks about it not only in quantity, but he talks about it in quality. Not only the amount, but the value of it. And he says that your love may abound more and more in these two areas and when he's talking about it, that it grow not only in the amount, but in the value, the quantity. And Paul refers to this type of love as a love that's very affectionate. It's very benevolent. In fact, when you look it up, it actually says this. It is a love fest for knowledge and judgment. It's a love fest. And you're saying, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? Well, if our motto is that I may know him, and I come back to this, I'm going to love knowing him, the knowledge that he gives unto me. I'm going to abound in that. It's going to overflow in my life as a believer. I'm going to want more of what he wants to provide. And as I look at this, Paul refers to this type of love as very affectionate. And when you tie this to knowledge and judgment, it indicates that we're to have an affectionate and an abounding love for discernment. And here's the thing. As a Christian, have you grown in your ability to discern right from wrong, good from evil, what is sinful and what is not? When you look at this, he's saying that you abound more and more in knowledge. In other words, I'm not only just taking it in, but I am absorbing it and then putting it into practice in my life. Let me tell you something. When my brothers went into the military, one was pretty heavy when he went in. When he came out, he did not look like he did when he went in. And they were sure enough to turn that man into a soldier. When he came out, he had a six-pack for a stomach. And he was staunch. I mean, when you touched him, you could feel every muscle in his body. Now, he doesn't look like that at all today. He's let the years get on him. But I'm telling you, they turned him into a soldier. You see, we can let life harden us, or God's Word enlighten us, so that we become stronger. And what it is, is we need to allow the Word of God, this knowledge, it's this understanding, 
it combines some comprehension, some insight that you would have a spiritual, now listen to me, a spiritual uh, understanding of things, a, a, a spiritual understanding of what's happening around us, a spiritual perception and an awareness of life. And here's what I share with you. When you sit and you watch Fox and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and NBC and CBS and you watch your favorite blog and Charlie Kirk and, and uh, Hannity and all these people, you're sitting there and we allow ourselves to get so mad and so angry over so many things and the only one thing that's going to change that thing is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. And we'll spend so much time allowing that to absorb us. We think that's knowledge. We think that's understanding. And listen, I'm not saying being ignorant to the things that are happening in the world, but if we want to see real change, we need to know him. Amen. That I may know him. And if we know him, we're able to even take in some of these things and kind of sift it out and compartmentalize of what's going on. Because I want to tell you something. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. In the end, he's coming. And we can fight and argue and put as many things as we want on Facebook. And I'm telling you, you will never change another person's mind. But Jesus Christ is in the saving business. He's into the changing of lives. And he will transform them from when they walk into salvation to the time they get to heaven. They'll be what Jesus needs them to be. <laughs> and we spend so much time on the wrong things, don't we? <laughs> you know, when you go in the military, it's regimented. How many of you men that were in there would say, yep. Preacher, you're right, it's regimented. You get up at a certain time, you eat at a certain time, you make your bed at a certain time, you get out there and you put boots on and you run and you run and you run and you run and you're thinking, if I have to run one more day, one more minute, one more moment. But I'll tell you, in the heat of a battle and in the middle of war, I've talked to men who said, the best thing that ever happened to me is I had to run and run and run and run. And I said, why? They said, it built my endurance up. So the trials, when they enter in, you had better build up your endurance in this word of God that I may know him. Because in the heat of battle, you, may be, you better be battle prepared. You better know him. Knowledge. That discernment, that perception for awareness in this life. Judgment is discernment. This is the ability to judge well with insight. It's an ability to understand spiritual consequences and decisions that you make. And it comes with some sensible spiritual conclusions. And what it is is that we want to do so much based upon what we think. We do not want to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And I want to tell you, when a soldier goes into boot camp and he comes out, he's conformed to what they're going to do or he's gone. And God says he wants us to be more conformed to the image of his son. <laughs> and when we go in, we are to then look at life and look at things through the judgment, through the eyes of God. <laughs> through his word, we should have, be, uh, have an ability to come to spiritually sensible conclusions based upon truth, <laughs> based upon what's taught. You're placing this all in the realm of spiritual, which Paul was addressing we can then conclude that it's having the right view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. <laughs> you know, folks, Paul indicates here that I may know him in chapter 3. And you do not really know how to live life righteous apart from Christ. You can't do it. 
If I'm going to abound more and more, you better know him. You better understand his word. You better grasp the knowledge of God because we don't have it. Listen, Peter even brings this up in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. And I began to think, you don't know how to live a life of righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. And the military turns you into a soldier through camp and training. And the same is true for a Christian. He says in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware lest ye also, being led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said two things, grow in grace and in what? Knowledge. Knowledge. You need to grow in your knowledge. Most Christians, listen to me, folks, look at me for just a second. You are absolutely miserable sometimes because you don't know the Word of God. Amen. You do not know what God's Word says, and when hardships enter into your life and circumstances enter into your life, they become hard because I just don't know Him. And if I did, it could change my circumstances into seeing it through His eyes. So many sitting in here right now want victory. Maybe you want some victory in some area of your life. And I'm here to tell you, if you know him, you will find that victory. That I may know him. You know, the Bible states in Philippians 4, 12 and 13, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he says, I can do what? All things. Through who? Christ. Christ. Which strengthens me. My leader, that I might abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. Secondly, this. Look at verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You know, we are to test and determine to live in a way that pleases God. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, I've seen so-and-so Christian do such and such, and why can't I? <laughs> I'm saying don't, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. Compare yourselves according to the Word of God. Don't look at what other people are doing. Look at what the Scriptures teach. Find out what the Bible says. When I look at this, an examination of what is most valuable, that you may approve things that are excellent. He's talking to you. He's saying to you that you may approve things that are excellent. Now, how are you going to do that? By an abounding love for knowledge and what? Judgment. Some discernment in my life, isn't it? And that you're able to approve, you're able to test things, if you will, to see if they're valuable or not. And so life in Christ is freedom and freedom from sin and death and freedom to have a choice to serve him. And this brings you to the place of responsibility as a Christian. This freedom does not provide us the means to live as we want to, but it provides us a means to live in freedom through Christ Jesus. I want to read something to you because I think we fail to do this sometimes we, we fail to really read and understand what the Bible's teaching us. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6, and I want you to look at something very clearly about what Paul is teaching here. And one of the things that we ought to do as believers in Christ Jesus, we ought to allow these kinds of words to really affect our life. And this is knowledge. This is abounding in love, more and more in knowledge and in judgment. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6 with me, if you will. Romans chapter 6. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, what shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at verse 2. What is the first two words there? God forbid that we would do that. God forbid. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. That phrase is where we get the word mortician from. It has the idea of put that to death. Kill that thought. Put that thought to death. That phrase, God forbid, means to let that thought die. It's where we get the word mortician from. And he says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now he's talking to us that are saved. (laughs) And he goes on and he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should, what is the next phrase? Walk in what? Newness of what? There's a change, isn't it? When that guy went in, when my brother Rob went into the military and he came out of the military, he was not the same guy when he came out as when he went in. And his life changed. And what I'm saying to you is, Jesus said, if you now belong to me, you are now to walk in newness of life. Now listen to me. He said, we are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. Something has changed about us. There should be change in our life. He goes on and he says in verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, We should not serve what? We should not serve sin. Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is, not might be, what is that word? Is freed from what? Sin. We're free. Now I'm challenging you. (laughs) He said things and freedom. All this comes by way of someone who died for you. His name's Jesus. Now, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, put that thought to death. No longer are are you your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are what? God. You belong to God now. Let me tell you something. When you join the military and you go through boot camp, you come out and you sign a contract for four years, guess who you belong to for the next four years? You belong to the government, don't you? You're theirs. And they're going to tell you exactly what time you're going to get up and what time you're going to go and where you're going to eat and what you're going to eat and how often you're going to eat. I mean, they are in control of all things in your life. And I want to tell you that we should willingly want to give that kind of power over to our God. When we examine our lives, I want to ask you this. He said, approve things. He said that you may approve things that are excellent. That word approve has to examine, discern, or test. Do you do that in your life? Do you test those things that enter into your life? When, it, when he goes on and he says things that are excellent, he's talking things that are more valuable. Now listen, 
there are things more valuable than gold and silver in this world. You know what it is? It's the eternal souls of men and women. It's more valuable than silver and gold. Listen, the value to me to see my children get saved far outweighs anything I might own. Now, I don't know about you, but ownership of money and valuable things that we would say are here on the earth, boy, if I just had, if I could have, and it's all about money, and we think money and success and status is all power, and we think that that's so wonderful, and I'm telling you this morning, the greatest thing that you can have in your life is the souls that you've won to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Inclusive in that is your family. Things that are excellent sincere things that are tested and it's genuine you know i like to test things i, I told you that I, before i bought this house that i'm in i sure wished i could have lived there for a couple months before i moved in i don't like to tell how many of you like to take a house for a test drive amen before you move into it wouldn't that be nice just one year i just want to drive it for one year and then i'll give it back to you if you don't want it anymore amen because then you know just about everything because you've made it through the seasons here in ohio and the thing of it is, is that, boy, we'd like to test some things that we don't get to test sometimes. And, but when you test something, you find out the quality of it too, don't you? You know, I talk to men who are gun owners all the time, Bill. And one guy's a Ruger guy, and another guy's a Kimber guy, and another guy's a, you know what I mean? And they all tell me how great their guns are. <laughs> And they know all the ins and outs of all these guns. And they have tested them. So therefore, their Ruger or their, uh, is it Kimber? Did I get it right? So it's a Kimber? See, I don't use them. I can't afford that for echelon of stuff. I know y'all can get those kinds of guns. But here's the thing. We test things out. How many of you, you ladies like to test things, Right? That's why when you go in the store, Miss Carol, there's counters in there, and those ladies stand there at the counters where all the perfume and the makeup is, and you go over there, and there's tester. I can't even walk through. How many of you guys can't walk through there? You one of those people? I die making it to the other side of that place. How many of you are with me? <laughs> huh? And, and, and listen, I like it when my wife wears some perfume, but when you walk in there, and, and you've got oats at Snowy Day or whatever it is, and it's everywhere, and you walk in there, and your sinuses are killing you. Now, the reason they do that is they want to test it on you. And you want to test it. Isn't that what you all do? Help me out here. How many of you ladies do that stuff? Or you go in, and they have the counter where you test the what? The eyeliner or whatever. You can go in and, and test to see what color your eyes are or whatever. Yeah. Right? I'm getting close. I know I'm close. But we like to test things out. And the thing of it is, is God says, what value is there in your salvation if it's never been tested? It gets tested. And notice this. I like this. You ought to underline this in your Bible. He said that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. That means not causing you to stumble. You ought to underline that. Not causing you to stumble till the day of Christ. You see, the reason we test these things out, the reason we approve these things that are more excellent, the reason we do this is so we don't stumble. And what happens to us a lot of times? We end up stumbling, don't we? Now, as I challenge you with this, we are to use discernment in our choices. 
I'm so thankful for a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament in Psalm 37, 23 and 24. There's a passage, two passages there. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now I want to tell you something. As a believer, I get excited about that. You see, God told me something. He said, look, I want you to test things in life. But when we test them, we're going to look at them through the eyes of the Scriptures, through His eyes. We're going to look at those things which are more excellent, those things that, that we can really truly approve of, that give us some good, strong spiritual discernment. <laughs> and by the way, when you delight in His ways, Though you may fall, guess what? You will not be utterly what? Cast down. He's there to uphold us you with his right hand. I always think about who sits on the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Christ Jesus. Now the Lord is there for you, and he's there to help you. And listen, that I may know him. Now I said part of that is that I may know him. You know another part of that is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> you know, because he raised from the dead, we will one day, if you've trusted him, raise from the what? Dead, right? And, and here's the thing, but he's given us victory now. See, the power of his resurrection has given us power over sin. Listen, he that is dead to sin, hey, we are free, are we not? Those that have trusted Christ, we're dead to sin. We're freed from it. You have a choice now. He's done something already for you. And so I look to this and I say, we're freed from from sin that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because we're saved does not mean that we won't have some missteps in our life. It doesn't mean that we will not sin. We will sin. But the fact is, is that when we look to the power of his resurrection, the power is triumph over sin. And what is so wonderful about being saved is, is when I do have those missteps, when I do fail, when I do fall, when I do sin, he said that if we confess our sins, He's faithful just to forgive us. He'll uphold us with his hand, will he? And the idea is, is to avoid a lot of that, examine some things first. <laughs> Look around. What is more valuable to you? Those things which you possess or the one who possesses you? And I just want to challenge you in your thinking. We must examine what is most spiritually valuable and abide by the fruits of righteousness in our life in Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Lastly, this, we're to live a life that is in agreement with God's standards. When I look at this, he said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, in verse 11, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. You know, being filled, it has this idea to be crammed full. <laughs> but it goes beyond that. To be crammed full with the influence of another. <laughs> being filled. Listen to what I just said. Being crammed full with the influence of another. Now, as a Christian, who do you think that other would be? Christ. That we're being crammed full, being filled, <laughs> being crammed full with the influence of something. The fruits of righteousness. This is an impartiality in character our acts, specifically, this deals with our Christian justification. Those fruits are the harvest or the production of a person. 
our deeds, our activities. And then he goes on and he says the word righteousness. And believe me, folks, righteousness, now listen to me, get a hold of this. Righteousness is also doing what is in agreement with God's standard. That's us doing right. What agrees with God's word. Now here's the thing. When you fellows were in boot camp or you were in military, you might have disagreed with some order that came down. But let me tell you something. When you didn't fulfill it, you had a problem. Am I right, fellas? You didn't fulfill an order. You had a problem on your hands. Now, God says the steps of a good man are ordered, ordered by the Lord. Lord. Here's the thing. Notice the phrase, the steps of a good man. You know, that good man delighteth. <laughs> Now, I won't say every time Brother Bill or Brother Jim or Brother Dan, when you got your orders, you were delighted. But you fulfilled them because the orders came down from on high. And what it is, is we have some orders that have come down from on high. And God says to us that we should be crammed, filled with the influence of that in our lives. That should take hold in us. Our justification is not of self that's provided to us through Jesus Christ, and Christ is to have the most influence in our life, that our deeds and our actions, notice what this says in here, it says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of who? Of God. It brings honor to him. Listen, when soldiers are good soldiers, it brings honor to our nation, doesn't it? It brings honor to our flag. It brings honor to our country. When you have these good soldiers doing the right things, it brings honor. When we bring honor to God, we're doing what Christ is influencing us to do, and we're doing it because he has given us our command. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> Go tell people about Jesus Christ. This is why we as Christians are to die to self, which leads back to our battle cry, and I end with this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If we had a battle cry, if we had a motto, would it be what Paul said? Would I be one of those people? Would I be that Christian that I may know him? Christ died that we might have eternal life and we're made conformable unto his death, being influenced by what is right and influencing others for what is right. And I believe when we're made conformable unto his death, it's simply this. We have decided in our hearts we are going to die to self and live for Christ. The fruits of righteousness, abounding more and more in love, in knowledge and judgment. Amen? Being filled, examining looking around, or examining things in your life, approving those things which are more excellent, and then being filled with the influence of Christ in your life, that we may fulfill His will and please our Savior. And